Welcome to episode 110 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psychomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us and Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Army veteran Adrian Shirk, Associate Vice President for National Partnerships with Unite Us a technology platform that is working to create an efficient system of care within the community to improve health and social support. After graduating from the United States Military Academy at West Point, Adrian served in various leadership roles in both the U.S. and Iraq and worked in both the private and nonprofit sector before joining Unite Us in 2021. You can find out more about Adrian by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Adrian, I'm glad to have you join the show to share about the work that Unite Us is doing to support the military-affiliated population. Before we get into that, however, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share your background and why this work is so important to you. Sure. Again, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here and share a bit more about myself, my work, and how I came to be at Unite Us. As a way of background, let's see, I started a military career at West Point. So I was driven really by the sense of service that my parents instilled in me at a young age. My father was a police officer. My mother was a nurse. And so I always grew up with these role models around me who oftentimes would just remind us about how important it was to think about and care about other people around you in your community. And by default, I had ingrained in me just this sense of trying to do good for those around me. And so growing up, that was just a theme in our household. It was really important to, to all that we did as a family. And then as I progressed kind of into my teenage years, I started thinking about college and university. But ultimately, I was also playing basketball. So I was a good basketball player. I was an athlete. I grew up playing sports pretty much my entire life. And I realized around my freshman, sophomore year that I really wanted to play at the next level. I thought that I had the potential to do it. I was small, maybe not as fast or as strong as some other players, but I was really determined to play in college. And so I played high school basketball and then AAU basketball. And through all of that, I started to get some letters from colleges and from some of the service academies. Ultimately, I received a, a letter from West Point to come out for a visit, talk to the coaches, learn more about what West Point offered beyond just the sports team and the basketball, and really fell in love with the idea of being a part of West Point, both as a cadet and then as, an, as a graduate and serving in the military. So lucky for me, I was able to receive an appointment and nomination and started my West Point journey in 2002, where I played basketball for the next four years. So Basketball was fantastic. It was a great component of what I did at West Point, but really the whole purpose of me being there was to serve in the military afterwards. I graduated in 2006 and served as a logistics officer. I served in Iraq for about a year, met my husband at West Point. He served a few years in the military. And through that, we both really fell in love with the idea of being able to give back. So for me personally, 
I was passionate about the work I was doing to improve situations, problem solve, right? Kind of overall lead teams and lead organizations to perform well and to have better outcomes overall as a team for the communities or the organizations we were serving. But I also really love taking care of my soldiers and finding ways to be an effective leader. And so the Army taught me very well how to take care of people and how to look out for others. And so I love that component of the military. I love that role in the Army. After I left the military, I kind of took this nonlinear path for a bit. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I felt this pressure that I needed to find a job. I just needed to start getting paid. And I took the first job that came my way. But what I quickly realized was that I didn't have that sense of purpose and passion that I had in the army. Without that, I was struggling to figure out where my place was in the world. After a few maybe missteps, I don't know if they're missteps or failures, so to speak, but really just after a few jobs that really didn't meet that need, I eventually found my way into nonprofit. And what I found in nonprofit was that sense of purpose and fulfillment that I was looking for so long after the military. So I worked for a nonprofit for a few years, loved the sense of community, loved what we were building and loved how we were really engaging with everybody around us to really build connected communities. Nonprofit was a great way for me to feel like I was contributing again. And I really learned a lot in those few years that I served in that position. What I realized, even in the nonprofit sense, was that we found that technology was really a cool way for us to become more efficient and more effective as an organization. We actually started using Salesforce while I was there, and I was pretty amazed at the progression as an organization that we made after using the right tools. That was my first kind of dip into technology. I saw the power of a CRM and what it could do for the teams that we were running and the organizations and communities we were serving. And I really loved what Salesforce was doing as a whole. The more and more I learned, the more intrigued I became with the company. And lucky for me, I was able to eventually land a position at Salesforce. This was my first kind of opportunity to work in tech and social impact. So I found a way to blend in this new intrigue I had around technology and the passion I had for nonprofit and put them together and find that there were a lot of career paths that could help meet my kind of my curiosity, intrigue, and also my passion. I worked at Salesforce for a few years and loved the work that we were doing. It was focused on really engaging military veterans, military spouses from a workforce perspective to help them figure out how to get trained and certified in Salesforce, help them break into the technology sector. So I think a lot of veterans or even military spouses think that the technology sector is complicated and not for them. And we were trying to reverse that way of thinking. At Salesforce, we started to work with customers and partners to build out programming that better supported this kind of talent pool that was untapped. For me, I love that work. I still had that sense of community connection that I had in the nonprofit space, but also had this ability to leverage technology in ways that, quite frankly, I didn't think was possible. That's how I broke into the technology sector, I'd say. And after a few years, I was following a company called Unite Us, and it was a company founded by military veterans, really that set out to better support veterans in their communities with navigating kind of the complex social care infrastructure that existed post-transition. And I saw the success they were having, and I saw the growth that was a result, and I wanted to be a part of that, that team and that mission left Salesforce, took a job at Unitas and been there ever since. And often say it's hard to think back 10 years ago, I would have never thought that I'd be working in technology and that I'd be able to couple it with kind of passion focused work. I feel like I finally figured it out 15, 20 years later and my place in the world now is settled and I know what I want to do and I know where I want to be. So that's ultimately how I ended up to where I am today. You know, I, I think that as many different transition stories that we hear, 
each one is unique. And then there's similarities with all of them as well, right? There's this winding path. But like you, I found myself, I didn't expect to go into nonprofit when I retired from the army in 2014 and find myself in the nonprofit space. And I think that's one of the unique things, one about the leadership opportunities that really lends itself well, military to nonprofit space. There's a lot of, let's just say there's a lot of opportunity for effective leadership in nonprofit because it's really focused on the mission. But nonprofits are really focused on what they do, but the concept of this technology application is how it's done can really enhance what is being done. And I think there's a gap between the nonprofit and the technology there. Absolutely. I think oftentimes technology can be overwhelming for a nonprofit. I know I felt that way when we were implementing Salesforce at the organization I worked for. I thought that it was going to slow us down and make it more complicated for us to do our jobs, really in connecting folks into the community. But after that first kind of change management period, I realized that this was something that was going to make our lives better as program managers or as team members and ultimately better serve the folks we were focused on supporting. Technology as a whole, I think, seems overwhelming and it seems complicated if you're in a space where you just want to do your work. You want to be in the community. You want to be connecting to folks. You don't have to worry about a tool or a resource to better support your individuals. You know that you have the capabilities to do that. And so once I think nonprofits get over that or see that the tool really will make their workflows better and make their processes more efficient, the light bulb turns on and the results kind of show for themselves. I absolutely agree. And I think that, again, I've also seen the benefit of technology being an enhancement, not a detriment. And of course, anybody who's listening and is familiar with the military and veteran support space knows how challenging it can be to navigate, especially if you Talk about the 10 or 15 years since you've gotten out, or even the last five years since I've gotten out, there are just so many different organizations. If you're a veteran or family member looking for help, it can be hard to know where to start. If you're a service provider, it'd be challenging to meet all of the needs, right? Because none of it happens in a vacuum. And that's really the challenge, I think, with 23, 30,000 veteran service organizations nationwide, all wanting to do the work, but there's still gaps that exist and difficulties in navigating that. Absolutely. I think it's hard to know where to even begin, right? Do I Google resources in my community? Do I look for big brand names and follow them to figure out what programs they might have available to me for training or education? It's really complicated. And we know that even the majority of folks don't even understand what resources are available in the community, right? As soon as you print out a flyer and you post it on the community center wall, it's essentially outdated, right? Because Programs and services are constantly changing and evolving based on funding and capacity and availability. That outdated model of just Google something or take this flyer in and do some research, I think, is a way of the past. Really, once you bring groups together, whether they are providers and community-based organizations and healthcare agencies together to the table, our hypothesis and what we're trying to achieve and we're doing right now with Unitas is that you better serve individuals, right? When you're collaborating together in a shared infrastructure, you can better meet the needs of those people in the community. So coordinating outside of the individual to say, we will help connect you to the right resources rather than depending on you to figure out on your own how to find that education service or that employment opportunity or that transportation voucher that you're looking for to get to that job or to school. Coordination across providers really is key to helping move the needle on improving outcomes for veterans, military spouses, and, and truly civilians kind of across the nation. And I think that's really where many organizations, and I know in my community and a number of communities around the country, is really looking at how do we connect the provider networks? Like, because 
the providers live within a network. I was working as a mental health professional, so I was closely tied to the Justice Involved Veteran Network and the Homelessness Prevention Network because that's who I was engaged with. They were connected to the employment folks, but not the entrepreneur folks. And so everyone has their little nodes of the networks, but there was no one ring to rule them all and bind them, so to speak. And I think that's really where we need to get to as far as connecting these community providers together. Say, I know someone I'm helping with mental health, but I don't help them with housing or employment or transportation or these other things that you're talking about. And I think the challenge for providers, whether you're a nonprofit on the ground supporting somebody in your community or you're a healthcare provider, is you're going to hope that person gets the other help that they need, right? You, you want to be able to guarantee that and feel confident that you're sending your patient or your clients to an accountable provider who will really meet that need that they've identified. If you just use a flyer or you just give them a list of resources, there's no guarantee and there's no way to track whether or not that individual actually was served. What Unitas is doing is bridging that gap, truly bringing this collaborative infrastructure to life between healthcare, government, nonprofit, right? So that they can coordinate together across a wide array of services and programs and then track the outcomes of those services. Did my client, my patient get the help that he or she needed? Providers want to be able to understand that so they know which other providers in their network can meet the needs of their clients to improve overall health and well-being. It's difficult for individuals to navigate healthcare, social care, right, on a daily basis. It's complicated for me to figure out what my health plan offers and what providers are our network. It's challenging for anyone to really understand the complexities that exist across the healthcare space. But for those with less access and resources, the challenge can be overwhelming where you don't necessarily have clear guidelines on what you're eligible for, what you're not eligible for. Our goal is to connect providers and allow them to see which organizations in their communities provide services that can meet the needs of their clients. That's really what we're trying to build and continue to grow at Unitas. This is collaborative infrastructure really across sectors, again, to drive impact that improve health outcomes and social care outcomes for those seeking services. And ultimately, we're doing that work across the nation now and are continuing to expand with our providers, with our nonprofits, and with the government agencies across the U.S. No, I think that's amazing. There's this idea that I've always communicated to colleagues in my community is that ability was inverse to need. Those that had the greatest need often had the least ability to navigate what we were doing, right? You know, if somebody was struggling with substance use and post-traumatic stress disorder and couldn't find employment and their relationships, and like you said, maybe they didn't feel personally fulfilled like they had in the military, adding all of those things on can really make it that much more complicated. So the ones that were, had the greatest need had the least ability to sort of navigate it. As you've mentioned, Unitas is a software program designed to facilitate referrals between service providers. It is more than that, right? It's building a network, but at its basic, it is a software program. Can you give us some examples of success stories in communities or some examples of how you've seen the platform being used? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, what's great about Unitas is that, again, we work across sectors. So we've had some phenomenal success with state government, where state government has said, we want all of our providers, our healthcare providers, our nonprofits to work together in a collaborative way to serve the people of our state. So we've seen state government opt in. We've seen veteran focused organizations opt in and say, we want to ensure that the veterans and their families that we serve in these communities are connected to food, transportation, housing. And to do that, they're using the United's platform to better connect and coordinate care really across those 
diverse service types. In a handful of states, we have healthcare providers and insurers who are saying, we want to better take care of our members. And to do that, we want to utilize this technology to ensure that our members have their healthcare needs met from us first from a clinical sense, but then also have their social need met in their community. They know that if social needs aren't met, they're going to continue to come to them for healthcare when really 80% of a person's health happens in a community. They're investing in the sense of this community infrastructure where their clients are at so that they have access to the resources that really truly meet their needs. We work now in, I'd say, 44 states. So all across the U.S., we're growing every day. We have churches on our network. We have libraries on our networks. We have sports organizations on our network. Really, anybody who serves someone in the community has access to Unite Us to either receive referrals in or send referrals out ultimately improve access to the care for their focused population. We've seen that once an organization joins our networks, they're able to more quickly and efficiently coordinate care. Say, for instance, somebody loses their house to a fire. We had this is something that happened, I believe it was in Iowa a couple of years ago. They lost all their belongings. A nonprofit on Unitas was very easily, quickly able to send out referrals on behalf of the family for clothing, for school for backpacks, for food, so that family could quickly and efficiently get back on their feet and meet their immediate needs to get them back into school, back to work, and ultimately get back into a home. And so without having kind of a coordinated network, that would have been really difficult. Those are just a few very small examples of, of things that our network can do. But even ultimately beyond our platform, we have data products too that help predict need in advance. If organizations whether it's a healthcare provider, an insurer, state government, nonprofit want to better assess the needs of a population they're focused on supporting. We have data analytics and predictive analytics that help them identify folks who are highest risk for social needs. We also have the ability to coordinate care on behalf of organizations. So it's called our network hub support team, where they'll reach out to individuals on behalf of an organization to enroll them into services, into programs. And then what we're trying to move to, and I'd say nationally, is getting CBOs and nonprofits pay and reimburse for the services they're providing. We know that this has been an issue since the start where nonprofits are not reimbursed or paid for what they provide. It's often just looked at as, oh, this is such a nice to have. Thank you for doing it. But we want that funding that ultimately goes to healthcare providers to go into the community organizations because they're the ones that deliver services that move the needle on health outcomes for individuals across the U.S. So we have payments infrastructure that really supports that workflow as well. As I think about our core platform as the true foundation for our work, we have several products that help enable providers of all type to better meet the needs of their target population across whether that's healthcare and social care or it's a combination of both. Right. Those are some great examples. And I really appreciate how you brought up healthcare and under that umbrella, healthcare of mental health care. Whenever I talk to people about Unite Us in considering this especially from a clinical perspective, there's the question of confidentiality. Because as you were talking about, if a library referring to a food bank, there's not necessarily concerns about confidentiality. A library referring to a clinical mental health provider or a medical provider, there are concerns about confidentiality. And Unite Us understands those. Absolutely. With a secure data-driven outcomes-focused platform, right? It's HIPAA compliant. And what's beautiful about our platform is that we have sensitive service types. There are certain service types that not all providers should see around the clients they're serving. So say, for instance, I show up for mental health counseling, you're a provider. Other providers that I've been to will not see that I've been seeking mental health services, right? So we categorize sensitive service types so that only those serving the individual 
for that particular service will understand what they're seeking. That's a really important piece of what we do and how I protect the privacy of clients being served through the NIS platform. Yeah, and I think that's really, again, even going back to as a mental health provider, we're both veterans. We're not the most approachable when it comes to mental health. I always used to say a veteran doesn't need a lot of reasons to avoid coming to a therapist's office. Any reason's a good reason. And I think that's really that somebody's going to hear about it. Somebody's going to know about it is a good one. And being able to say that the platform understands that and is able to mitigate that is is really important. So if folks wanted to find out more about Unite Us, maybe to find out whether or not their community or their state is using the platform in some way that they might be able to be a provider, how can they find out more? Yeah, great question. So they can go right to our website, uniteus.com, and we have different categories for providers, for nonprofits, and for individuals where they can click in to understand more about what's happening within their state or within their region. So I would recommend folks just check out uniteus.com to learn more and navigate from the homepage. That's great. And I will make sure that a link to all those are in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, we'd like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. One of the things that we've often talked about is the proliferation of military and veteran support organizations within the last 20 years or so. Where there is a need or desire from the perspective of the military-affiliated population, there's probably an organization that meets that need. It may not be an efficient process, and it may not be widely available in every location, but there are so many resources out there. And, paradoxically, with the proliferation of support, it can be more challenging to navigate. Many organizations only support a single aspect of need, like involvement in the legal system, employment, or housing. And while these organizations are often connected, these connections likely rely on individual and person-to-person connections. But while the network does and arguably should start with individuals because of the need for trust when referring from one provider to another, that model is not sustainable. So if the innovation in the military and veteran support space is not more programs, what is it? I believe the innovation will come not in more nodes in a network, but more connections between those nodes. Consider services in a community like individual islands in the bay. On the shore of the bay, there's a giant billboard listing all of the resources available within that bay. A veteran standing on the shores looking at this giant billboard decides to go to the island that has all the homelessness providers. But the veteran also needs a job. That's a different island. So they go back to the shore and navigate their way to that island only to find that their particular characterization of discharge excludes them from that type of service. Again, like I said in our conversation, those with the greatest need often have the least ability to navigate things on their own. So you have a veteran with a bunch of different needs floundering in the bay, surrounded by resources, but not able to access them appropriately. Now imagine the people on the housing provider island had a bridge that connected them with all of the other islands and the ability to support that veteran in getting to the right place to meet their needs. Out of 20 islands, they need to go at islands 3, 12, and 19, and their needs are met quickly by each of them. Is this perfect? Of course not, but it's a step above the personal connection of go to this agency and ask for Angie and tell her that Bill sent you. It's much better than handing someone a flyer and suggesting that they call them. That's where technology can take us. And remember, technology is a tool like a hammer, and a hammer is only as good as the hand that holds it. But Unite Us is a technology solution that connects providers in a way that makes the navigation of social support services that much more effective. 
So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Adrian as much as I did. If you did, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psychomer course, Why Collaboration is So Important in Supporting Military Members, Veterans, Their Families, and Caregivers. This course is designed for community leaders interested in exploring some key components to a successful collaborative journey. You will learn how collaboration can provide the structure needed to impact the lives of the military-connected population. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.